Hi, I'm George Crump, Lead Analyst with Storage Switzerland. Thank you for joining us today. Today we're going to be talking about unstructured data. A lot of data centers today really treat unstructured data like a second-class citizen, and it really has become an incredibly valuable asset to the organization. Joining me today is John Calmes. He is with Operavi Software. John, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, so before we get too far in the presentation, why don't you just real quickly give folks background on yourself and, of course, uh, Operavi. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm John Calmes. I'm VP of Business Development over at Operavi. And uh, what I do on a day-to-day -day basis obviously changes. Uh, sometimes I'm working directly with clients. Other times I'm uh, building partnerships with some of the, the new storage arrays that are out there. Operavi is an organization dedicated to the protection and insight of unstructured data specifically. Um, we come from uh, the legacy backup space. All of our leadership and engineers uh, have multiple years uh, in backup, and we feel like we uh, truly have actually built a better mousetrap. All right. Thanks, John. So for those that don't know me, I'm George Crump, lead analyst at Storage Switzerland. We've been uh, doing uh, very focused uh, storage analyst uh, type of work for over 12 years now. So, John, let's talk a little bit about, just let's start with level setting a little bit and just comparing unstructured data to other data sets, right? Sure. I think, first of all, you know, if you look at databases, for example, uh, they're often snapshotted, replicated. They've, in other words, they've got all kinds of protection going on. You, I'm sure you see that when you're talking to customers, right? Yeah. I mean, we see a mix of, of different strategies in use uh, that are happening out there, but, but absolutely, yeah, replication, snapshots, uh, different locations. We see a lot of different approaches. Yeah. And now... Also, of course, big on the radar screen for everybody is virtual environments, right? So oh, yeah. virtualization is, is a big thing. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting to me, virtualization, when it first came out, the data protection story was pretty bad, really. Sure. And now it's actually pretty good. You know, there's a yeah. lot of good solutions on the market, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, we, we love those guys out there because they're focusing on availability of virtual machines. And that's uh, what's most what's so important in those environments. And I think the key thing to point out there is that in both of these situations, we're talking about multiple protection events a day, in some cases, uh, you know, on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, in other cases, every few hours, right? Yep, absolutely. So then the other thing that we see a lot, especially in the virtual environment, uh, is this concept of instant re restore, what we often call recovery in place, and that's the ability to instantiate the virtual machine directly from backup storage, so you eliminate that transfer time back into production, and that, that's a feature that I see people just taking advantage of in, in big ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the ability to have a mountable uh, backup is, is absolutely paramount, especially in a disaster recovery scenario, hardware failures, things like that. Um, incredibly important to have that mountable point. Yeah, and I also think what's interesting with, with the, that kind of a feature is it also changes the nature of backup because then you can, beyond disaster recovery, you can use it for test and dev and all kinds of different other use cases as well, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole copy data management movement of a few years back, sure. uh, using secondary data for other purposes um, because of the value that's in data these days and, and all the new tools that are out there to, to help manage that data. Um, yeah, it's, it's important to have that capabilities. So then if we talk about unstructured mm -hmm. data... The, the story is not quite as good, right? What we typically see is a, is a once-a-night backup, if sure. that. Uh, if I, I see a lot of times if there's an error in a once-a-night backup, it's, you know, you, okay, we'll just get it next night's backup. There's not a, a you know, a fire drill to get after it. Do you sim see similar situations? Yeah, and it depends on the business, right? Some businesses you see that unstructured data is actually the lifeblood. They're valuing that right. data. However, that's probably the exception, not the rule these days yeah. from, from the customers we're talking to. So we, we do see a, a lot of people just saying, yeah, the once per night's fine. 
Um, and I've even heard, you know, horror stories of people just putting it on external hard drives and, you know, taking it home with them. You know, we hear it all. <laughs> so, and John, I think a great place where this really becomes uh, more important or the, the idea of, or the, more exposed maybe is the right way to say it, is when we start talking about ransomware. Oh, Because yeah. ransomware can strike any time, day or night, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're seeing the evolution of ransomware, you know, uh, on the ground. Uh, City of Baltimore is a fine example of this, where uh, the ransomware kind of sat dormant for a period of time and infected more and more and more machines until the cumulative effect of that was, uh, you know, an all-at-once attack that was, uh, to this date, still unrecoverable. Yeah, very devastating attack, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, now... You know, I guess the news isn't terrible because some of this stuff might get picked up in snapshots. You know, snapshot sure. technology yep. is clearly uh, there in a lot of cases. If you're running on a, a, on a, a filer of some type or a NAS, the, the snapshot capability is built in. But I think the challenge there is while it does provide faster backup, uh, it, it really is horrible at, for, uh, from a search perspective because you, you, you have a, the, the file system there, but there's no search or data classification or anything there to figure out what snapshot you should go get what data from, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's one of the challenges that we've, we really founded Operavi around was how do we add intelligence to, to data uh, so that in these type of attacks you have confidence that what you're retrieving is exactly what you need. I, and I look at it as, you know, if it's sort of that old thing, uh, you know, if a tree, uh, tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, did yeah. it really fall? If you backed up your data and you can't find it, did you really back did it up? Did you really back it up? That's right. right. So then let's, let's talk about also the importance of unstructured data, because I think that's critical uh, also. You know, if you look at it in just terms of raw capacity, in almost every data center I'm in nowadays, uh, this dwarfs uh, the unstructured data set, right? I mean, you know, big databases could be in the, you know, five to six to 700 gigs, where the unstructured data set is measured in dozens if not hundreds of terabytes right yeah absolutely and and as more organizations are bringing in more applications that are you know purpose built all of those are just building more and more unstructured data and and you got to do something with it right regulations yeah exactly so the other thing i think it's interesting is we talk about like office just office productivity applications because uh, we're going to talk about machine data here in a second, but I don't want this to get overlooked. I mean, this is, to me, this is like the creative energy, right? I mean, this is what a lot of people, their creative work is making a PowerPoint presentation or, or you know, putting together a proposal in, in Microsoft Word or Excel or whatever tool you might happen to use. And this data is incredibly hard to go and recreate. And, and I think, honestly, one of the proof points here is look at all the people that will willingly pay ransom to get this stuff unlocked. Yeah. So obviously, by definition, you're saying there's value here, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly right. And we've seen uh, a trend of more and more people trying to rely on paying the ransom. Yeah. Right? You've seen that, right? And that's why we've also seen uh, state government being attacked because they set a precedent for, oh, by the way, these, these guys pay the ransom, right? right. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that part of that is is they're calculating the hours and upon hours it takes and the iterations and the versions that come along with these type of uh, creative files and, and how many man hours that is, uh, you know, it can be staggering. Now, I, I think the other thing to, to sort of uh, talk about here is, you know, you can reproduce this. In theory, if we lost this presentation, we could go back and put it back together again, but it's going to sure. take time. Like, yeah. like I, you know, I'd be, rather not. Right, exactly. There's a, or there's a bullet you know you'll miss or something, yeah. right? So yeah. I, I think that's a big challenge. And I think, the, of course, the other big one that is, is more of a headline probably over the last five to six years 
is data from machines, right? Oh, Logging yeah. data and now IoT devices and all that kind of stuff. This is a, this is just a huge percentage of that huge percentage. Yeah, we we have customers in manufacturing engineering that their machines are are all talking, right, and all producing data, and the downtime associated with that, or perhaps manufacturing defects, and there's audits involved, especially in the aerospace. Uh, that data is almost, um, people don't understand the value of it just yet, but they're keeping all of it because they know it's going to be valuable, right? Um, and so you see this sheer mass amount of data being created. The challenge is, with the traditional approaches, is how do you find it? Right. Well, and I think the other challenge that we see here is, is this is just as susceptible to a ransomware attack as anything else would be, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the other thing I think that's really important to point out here is in many cases, like especially like IoT devices that are capturing the you know, measurement of something at a specific point in time in certain, say, weather conditions, yeah. you can't recreate that. That was a situation no. that just occurred, yeah. right? There is no version. Exactly. Right. It's gone. Yeah. yeah. So I think that becomes a real challenge as well. Yeah. So let's also kind of talk about protecting this data. I think kind of why you see the sort of once a night uh, type of strategies, right? I, 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 again, this is just, this is a big chunk of data. Right? Absolutely. And, and it's not like a, a database that it, it isn't exactly, but is essentially one file. Or it's not, a database isn't spread across millions or, and billions of files, which is really what we have here. I mean, it, I, I remember when I started in the early 90s, late 80s, uh, you know, we would try to make sure we found servers that had, you know, 100,000 files on it, right? And now we're at a million, and now I'm sure you're starting to talk to people that have billions of files. Yeah, we absolutely are. I mean, billions of files is, is a conversation we have on a weekly basis. Um, someone comes in, and whether it's a marketing firm that, that has just tons of iterations of creative files right. or manufacturing, engineering, uh, finance, all of these industries are aggregating data at a pace that, you know, when George started, was unfathomable, right? <laughs> when I started, I, you know. Wow, that kind of hurt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so anyways, the, um, and the other thing I think is really important to point out here that we kind of didn't touch on the last slide was that the, the value of this data is actually inside the file, right? It, yeah. It, it's the data that's in that file, not necessarily the fact that the file exists, right? That's right, yeah. So and, yeah. finding that really becomes critical. Yeah, I mean, you know, finding titles uh, is, is one thing, but, but finding content and, and then being able to apply value to that content is a, is a whole, and context is a whole other thing. Right, and well, so for example, like the name of the file for this PowerPoint presentation is uh, unstructured data, but there's all kinds of other content in here, yes. you know, that that it, that wouldn't just if I saw the file name might not match up to what I was looking for, mm -hmm. right? So that's really critical as well. I, now let's also spend some time here. I, I think this the the regulations sort of ebb and flow depending on the, what's going on in the news, kind of like ransomware, I guess. Sounds right. But the regulations, like the California is it California Consumer Protection Act? Privacy. Right. Privacy Act. Privacy. And uh, and then GDPR. Uh, those have really kind of changed the game as far as how we do this uh, protection as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is uh, a bit of a challenge when you have legislators uh, designating rules that affect IT. Right. You know, they don't necessarily know the impact it's going to have. Um, and so, so yeah, uh, CCPA adopted a lot of the rules around right to be forgotten uh, for GDPR. And a common response is, well, we'll delete it upon restore. There's challenges with that, obviously, right? Yeah, well, number one, I don't know if that actually holds up to the law, right? I think yeah. that I think the law is pretty clear that it has to be removed everywhere, and they don't, in, in both regulations, they don't specify 
a separate condition, if you will, for backup data. That's right. Yeah, and there's teeth to this, right? We've already seen uh, a genomics company in Canada get hit with a giant fine for for not doing for not doing GDPR compliance. So this is happening. More and more states. New York's adopting something very similar to CCPA. They're all kind of looking at GDPR like, ooh, we want to protect that data, right? We want to have privacy around that, around that data because that is important. It brings about a lot of challenges uh, for the IT department. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that's uh, important to think about here is that part of the thing is protection, right? And so it's, it's also that these, these regulations are all specifying not only that you have to protect this data, they're also starting to say that you have to recover in a certain period of time. Yeah. And so it's the, the right to be forgotten is one that we talk about a lot just because it's particularly challenging. But at a base level, if you're protecting data once a night, that might not be hitting these regulations. Yeah, potentially. So then... Let's talk about uh, sort of this, where we are today as a state of the art in protection. And what I tend to see is, is two approaches. Um, the, the legacy, what I'll, I'll call the, the applications, the, the data protection applications that were invented in the uh, 90s and early 2000s, a lot of the unstructured data was a, a file-by-file backup. Uh, yep. Those files were stored because in that era, especially, we were dealing mostly with tape. So they were stored, you didn't write one file to a tape, that would be horrific from a performance standpoint. Right. You kind of, you know, aggregated them and wrote them as big blobs, right? So yep. now finding that little file within that blob becomes a bit of a challenge. Yep. And of course, all of this leads to a situation where these can be slow, right? It, it, again, they're doing a lot of work, they, depending on, there's a lot of nuances here about how you kind of go get that data and walk file systems and sure. things like that. but. I've seen situations where it can take this. This just finding what data to back up can be take longer than actually backing the data up. That's right. That's right. So then, the other challenge that you start to have here, especially as we start to deal with millions and potentially billions of files, is metadata. Right, data about data, and this is all the at a basic level. It's uh, date modified, date access, things like that. Things that you need to be able to have. Um, that tracking of all that data, and then in a backup environment, you need to also then have metadata that would tell you what version of, of that file is on what piece of media or yep. on what device and all this sort of stuff. Yep. So this metadata really can start to explode too, right, John? Absolutely, yeah. That's a, a big challenge. Um, again, that challenge affects the discovery of data and the speed at which you find that data, the speed at which uh, your your jobs are being you know run on a nightly basis. Like Like you were saying, we have... We've seen uh, customers of, of competing products where the product is sitting and thinking for six hours before it's even backing something up. Yep. Yeah, I, I think the other challenge that you, you see with metadata is it also impacts your ability to retain uh, just the core data itself because that, those, that metadata index set gets so large that you can't keep it all. And so you actually got to purge, you got to actually lose some detail to be able to keep the older data. So it really becomes uh, problematic. Mm-hmm. Now, the other option, of course, and we see this a lot with modern applications, is how they back up by doing essentially an image backup. So we just basically ignore all the files, and we're now we're just looking for changed blocks. Yep. Now, the good news is this is really fast, yep. right? Uh, I mean, it can happen if it's just a few blocks of change. It could happen in seconds. Um, but, and, and, and I make this kind of almost funny, but... There's no metadata problems because there isn't any there metadata. There isn't any metadata. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Solved. Doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, that, 
but that, of course, then means you have the same problem as being able to find it. Now, in, in fairness, most image-based solutions can go in, find a single file, and restore a single file. Yeah. But, but you do have to know where, what job has that file, right? Yeah, absolutely. You got to know where that was, or, or perhaps you might even have to mount, you know, uh, the, right. the point where you think it is, right? You have to actually mount that as a virtual machine, as a drive, and then, and then start to drag through file trees to find what you need if you don't know something about it, like the title. Exactly, yeah. So all these metadata, uh, lack of metadata and things like that, also leaves a situation where you lose that granularity, and you just can't extract value hmm. from from your backup set, right? The the unstructured data thing, and, and this is where I think you, you kind of become guilty of treating data, unstructured data, like a second-class citizen, hmm. because you have no details, right? Yeah. You, you just don't know. You're just happy it got backed up. Yeah, and that's that broad approach of like, well, let's, let's, let's just grab everything, right, is, is the answer to that, and that's, that's the image-based application. You're, you're favoring speed, right, justifiably so, like, right, for granularity. You can't, you can't have both, right? You can't have your cake and eat it too, right? So there, there needs to be a balancing act between speed and granularity, absolutely. Well, and then turning back to, for example, um, GDPR, uh, uh, how do you, in this situation, give me all of John Smith's data, right? right? If John Smith wants to be removed, you would have to know which backup job John Smith's stuff was backed up on and then go yeah. remove it. And then how do you remove something from an, a middle of an image file and yeah. have that image still have any, you know, I mean, essentially, you'd, you'd corrupt the you'd image. You'd corrupt the entire image. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. It becomes a house of cards. So it really becomes a challenge, I think, in, in this environment. Um, so let's kind of t let's talk about what you really need to be looking for. And I, I think there's a couple things here. Um, I, I think it's time to start looking at, especially in unstructured data, is a concept of more of a purpose-built solution, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the the wave of unstructured data just happened too fast for the industry. And just like we sort of saw uh, purpose-built uh, backup solutions for VMware and things like that, I think it's time for a purpose-built uh, solution for un unstructured data. And, and so we, we've got to get, as John, as you said, we've got to get that balance of uh, fast backups but still get the granularity. So sort of a snapshot-like uh, data capture approach yep. I think is really good there. Um, and that allows us to really leverage that granularity and, and even go so far as providing content search, right? Um, yeah. For example, we build a uh, content and context-aware index on-prem uh, to solve this very problem, right? So data can be searched against, discovered, um, can be retrieved in granular uh, you know, instances uh, for us to, to provide that, that level of recoverability for our customers. Yeah, and I, I think that becomes important as you start to service restores from this. You know, we talk about the horrific things like ransomware and yeah. things like that, but even just straight restores, most of the time um, when, you know, in my days, when a user would come up and say they needed a file, they didn't know the file yeah. name, right? You yeah. know, it's like, and, or, you know, I wanted, I literally had requests where I needed a, I need a version. They knew the file name, but I, I, they needed a, a version like two versions ago. Well, I don't know what, yeah. where that is, right? And, you know? and the boots on the ground in the audience, like you guys understand that. At the C-suite, they, they might. They don't. Necessarily, what do you mean? They don't know the name of the file, right? But we all have have heard of our you know customers requesting, our internal customers requesting. Hey, I don't know where I put this. I don't know the name of the file. How, how do I find it? Yeah. Right. Can, where is it? I must have deleted it. Where'd right. it go? I need it. Well, a lot of times I've I've had people ask for uh, files to be restored, and they actually weren't deleted. I'm restoring it because they don't even know where. They it don't is. know where it is. Yeah. yeah. Then so, you've got another, another copy of it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so. 
and I think the other thing is we want to leverage uh, some modern storage technologies, Absolutely. right? Uh, so uh, on an on-premise object store or even public cloud storage for long-term data retention. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Operavi is a storage agnostic. We're a software company, right? You don't have to store your data with me. We don't, we, well, you can't store your data with me, right? Uh, so we, we have customers that have some data that stays on-prem. Other data ends up, you know, going out to, to cloud object storage, whereas other data might go to a secondary location. So our, our you know, ethos is, A, that not all data is created equal. Different data has different types of retention windows, different types of retention periods, uh, different levels of sensitivity. We want to help this, help you discover that and then give you the tools to move it to the right location. Yeah, and I think also it's important to realize that that data changes over time, right? Today it's very valuable in three or four years, not so much. Yep. And I want to be able to move its location granularly. Yep. Right? You know, because you run in that same problem with like the image backups is a lot of people are talking about archiving to the cloud. Well, I don't know how you can do that if it's all built together, right? You need yeah. to be able to extract certain components. Yeah, you know, copying images out to the cloud and calling it an archive just isn't sustainable with the rate of unstructured data growth that we're seeing. Um, I think latest forecast is by 2025, it's like 90% of all data anywhere is forecasted to be unstructured. Yeah. So it's uh, that's not a sustainable path forward, especially if you're if you're paying for you know a flash array from someone. Yeah, that makes total sense. So th the other thing is, I think that we and I think this comes up a lot in ransomware recoveries, as an example. But provide that similar. We talked about instant recovery in VMware data protection. Mm -hmm. uh, provide that same sort of functionality, and, and it, it seems to me that the. I don't want to say it's easy because I don't want to insult developers, right? But it seems obvious, anyways, yeah. that you would be able to mount. Uh, you know, put an SMB or an NFS mount together that somebody could access and start pulling data yeah. off of immediately, right? Yeah, and I think historically the challenge with that has been is that mount point might not know where the data is. It could be on-prem, it could be in the right. cloud, right? And Operavi has actually built a solution for that uh, because we're able to create that mount point from our on-prem index without even touching the storage. So no egress fees, you know, no getting puts, none of that. No latency, you're not saturating bandwidth. You're also not having to recall or mount entire backups. You're actually able to mount and provide a network path to our index that can be searched against, that can be, uh, you can find content, you can find the context of where certain uh, search terms show up in the document. Um, so yeah, a lot of flexibility in, in what we've built here. So John, we've talked a little bit about sort of the requirements here and, and we've uh, tied some of that into what you guys do. Let's just jump yeah. into detail on Operavi and what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Operavi, we kind of fancy ourselves as a multi-cloud intelligent uh, data protection platform, right? And what this is, and, and when we were ideating about what we're creating, uh, like I said earlier, we came from the backup industry. Uh, this is this team's fourth or fifth, I lost count, data protection, data management engine. Um, and we didn't want to repeat the sins of the past, which were you know, looking at what's the problem now, not what's the problem tomorrow. Gotcha. So when we were ideating this, you know, we, we kept thinking of, of a, you know, a junk drawer in a, in a house. This is actually our CMO's drawer, right? This is what it looks like. I think if you look closely, there's like an Oreo cookie or something in there. And there is. Yeah. It's right there. Uh, in, in, yeah. So <laughs> it, it's pretty interesting. There's obviously no organization. There's no rhyme or reason to this. It's just, you know, the, the drawer you throw your stuff into. And, and that's what we saw image backups is becoming is, is this silo or multiple silos 
where you really didn't know what you had in there. Right. Right. Yeah. You yeah. just knew it was in the drawer somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Operavi's goal is to Marie Kondo, trademark Netflix, uh, to Marie Kondo your data, right? And so here you can see you've got uh, you know nice, neat organizations, your batteries in the right place, your your cutting implements are in the right place, your glues, your tapes, everything is is nicely put. Now You've got one storage device here, the drawer, and different types of data in there, but it's organized by type. And that's what Operavi sought to do uh, with uh, some new technology. So really what Operavi is, is we're a file-by-file data protection tool. We place the value on the data itself. And the way we do that, whether it be a server, whether it be an endpoint, whether it's a storage device itself, is by creating an index on-prem and actually being able to look through that index, look for patterns like social security numbers, credit card numbers. You can create customizable taxonomies. So if you know that there's a, a specific file type or file name that's important to your business, we can actually discover that through all of these different data sources and then tag it with that tag, right? Whether it's PII or whether it's PHI, whatever it may be. So, John, now we, we did talk about um, some of the potential slowness in file-by-file. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming you guys have overcome a lot of those challenges? Yeah, technology's come a long way. Uh, there's, there's some uh, proprietary technology that we have that, that uh, allows us to build this uh, index quickly and only have to build it once, right? So every time we're doing a job, we don't have to scan through everything. So the subsequent backups especially go really fast. Yeah, there's obviously going to be a moment of of pain in the beginning, right? When you're, with the first time you input Operavi and we've got to chunk through, you know, a petabyte of data and a billions of files, yeah, that that could take some energy. But after that, it's very light, very, very light. Okay, absolutely. I think one of the other things that we really thought of was the changing landscape of ransomware uh, and having additional layers of protection for ransomware. Uh, so we built in a solution that allows you not only to value the data so you can discover in a ransomware scenario what's most important, but also, as we talked about a minute ago, that, that index that can be created allows users to, to search and drag and drop the files they need to continue doing business. Oftentimes what we see in ransomware attacks is the cost of downtime is far greater than, than any cost of, a, of paying a fine. Um, but organizations obviously are being instructed not to pay those fines and the likelihood of getting your data back even if you do, pretty low, Yeah. right? So can I use that index to help detect that I'm starting to experience an attack, like to detect like a lot of changes or stuff stuff like that? Yeah, and actually that's a kind of a good segue into to some of my next slides. That's right? what I'm here for. Thank you, George. <laughs> um, so Operati actually has an automated alert and defense system. Um, just like any other back, backup software, we're going to look at changes, right? We're going to have uh, a difference between job A and job B. So what Operavi is able to do is actually calculate that, that percentage change between those two jobs before we've moved any data. This way you can set a threshold, right, that says, hey, if 10% of my data changes in this specific folder or on this machine or, or 30% or 1%, you, it's a customizable threshold, send me an email, send me a text message, but more importantly, we won't do any storage operations until the user intervenes. So in other words, you're not corrupting the backup. Exactly. Based on that threshold. Yeah. yeah, and in that scenario, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, working for old backup vendors, I'd get calls from my customers saying, hey, uh, your, your backup software overwrote, you know, a file with, with an encrypted data. Right. Why, why did it do that? And I was like, oh, well, either that file was deleted on-prem or it was out of its retention window and the software saw a new change. This prevents all of that from happening. It, it, it uh, you know, is, is in essence a, a tool to help data loss prevention in, in that respect. Awesome. Absolutely. 
The, uh, the air gap copies is kind of interesting. Talk about what you're doing there, because obviously that's important, again, in a, in a ransomware attack, too. Yeah, um, and, and air gapped in cloud, you know, some people will, will fight on the hill that it's not truly air gapped, but uh, to date, ransomware isn't able to travel through an S3 API, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's not able to go through that. It can go through network paths, as we know. Um, so what Operavi can do is, is we can send a copy of your data to Amazon, um, but also you can send a copy of that same data to Google, right? Or to Wasabi or to Backblaze or to any of our, of our providers, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we even support the generic S3 API. So if you have a, you know, storage on-prem and you're using something like a Minio, for example, to emulate an S3 API, we support it. Um, so we're really storage agnostic there, but by having those multiple copies, uh, you're only increasing, you know, your your insurance plan against ransomware sure. uh, or against even bad actors inside of the environment. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Uh, now, obviously, we were talking about instant recovery. Uh, the the ability, your guy, you guys now have the ability to essentially provide a mount uh, to the customer. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so. As we're uh, you know, doing our backups, we're actually creating that index. That index is going to live on-prem uh, inside of our architecture, which I'll show you here in a sec. Um, but it also is copied with the data itself for fault tolerance. So if you, you know, lose you know, our, our software on-prem or your machine on-prem that's running our software, you can quickly retrieve that. But what that index allows you to do is allows you to search at a content level through all of your unstructured data, no matter where it is. Um, so you can search through our... Uh, through our UI, or as, as George was hinting at a second ago, uh, you can create that mount point, right? Where you can go in, specific, uh, pick a specific point in time, create that mount, and then give access to the users, um, you know, whether this is temporarily in a ransomware recovery scenario, or whether this is just the preferred method that the CEO likes to recover his data from by browsing through the Windows file tree structure and dragging and dropping. The beauty of this is, again, it doesn't touch storage until you select and actually retrieve the file, right? Before, all of the intelligence, all of the search you're doing is all happening against the index. So it happens very fast. Right. Yeah. So the, from the, I think what's interesting from a recovery standpoint then also is, even though you, you've given me the ability here to keep data in multiple places, yeah. from a search perspective, I'm just searching on one thing, yeah. not, not yeah. everything. You can think of it almost as like Operavi's a way to kind of democratize cloud storage, right? So um, this can give you a, you know, a multi-vendor strategy you know, for, for multiple different reasons. That's, that's obviously beneficial. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as software, as far as Operavi is concerned, you don't need to know where that data is. And this is incredibly important when you're thinking about seven, 10, infinite years retention windows because of compliance. Uh, you might have a new CEO that comes in and says, hey, we're, we're Google now, or hey, we're Azure now. And these things change over time, or perhaps yeah. there's a new entrant that you want to take advantage of. Operavi can allow you to do that without having to re-index the data and then having one pane of glass to search all of those clouds. And the software is going to know, based on the index, where that data is. Well, and to, just to kind of drill down on that, the way I understand it is, like with a lot of products, if I want to move from, let's say, Amazon to Google or, or Amazon to Wasabi, I have to basically, if I want to keep my history, right, and history is critical in backups, yeah. I need to pull the whole thing down, which was going to obviously take time. Egress and, fees. And a massive egress fee. And you've got to have space for it on-prem. Yes, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. And then you got to move it up to your other cloud. Forklift it. I, I think what I'm hearing you say is I could say, okay, I'm just going to stop. Yep. 
and all new backups or new data is going to go to my whoever my new provider is, and I'll just let this age out naturally and thereby not incur the egress fees. Yeah, exactly. And and not only that, we can even have versions of files at, at a sub-file inc- or a sub-block increment, right? A four kilobyte uh, bit of the change be in a new cloud, right? So you could have a, you know your original file in Amazon, and then you could have an increment in Google or an increment in Azure, an increment in Wasabi, what have you. And uh, we support all that. And the software knows to pull all those increments together at the right time. Yeah, what, based on the recovery point you choose, the software is going to know uh, how to how to grab that file. But then, as you mentioned, as time goes on, uh, the the data in that old cloud is going to shrink and shrink and shrink until it's the bare minimum of that base file, likely. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you can do that forklift migration. We have that path where you can say, okay, ninety percent of my data is now in my new cloud. I'm going to take the other 10%. I'll pay whatever egress fees associated with that if, if you want. Or you can leave it there. It's up to you. So now we, we also talked a lot about uh, compliance and regulation. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about what you guys are doing with Insight and Governance. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at a lot of the Insight and Governance tools out there, they're going to be looking at the, the file server itself and not necessarily down to the endpoint level. Mm-hmm. We'll provide that extra level of granularity down to the individual endpoint itself. What, this, what we found is uh, we were talking with a large insurance company, publicly traded insurance company, and they had every governance tool in the world out there, you know, looking through their data, finding any type of you know, PII that, that was being aggregated, and there was a lot of it. Um, however, what it was missing was users actually saving customer data inside like notes, for example, on oh. their laptop. Oh, okay. Right? Um, and so Operavi gave them that ed- added layer of security while also even going to, against their file servers and providing validation that their other governance tools are grabbing everything, right? So they took this very, very seriously. Obviously, they're in a highly litigious industry. Right. Um, but because we know the content of the data, right, and we know where that data is uh, based on where we've, we've backed it up from, we're able to then give a higher level of confidence in a governance or audit type scenario that, that you're able to comply. Um, we, we talked quite a bit about GDPR and CCPA earlier uh, and the other states that are adopting these type of rules. Well, Operavi, you can search by username and by social security number and by other identifying factors of an individual to help discover that data. And because we've placed it file by file, you then have a path to actually knowing where that data is and being able to remove it at a sub-file granularity. Wow, okay. Uh, so let's talk about, we didn't talk a lot about the immutable copies. Let's uh, wrap this section up with that. Yeah, um, so Operavi doesn't, uh, anything that's changed becomes a new version, right? So in essence, it's like a software worm. Um, So we have uh, customers in the finance industry that are using us for SEC compliance, Mm -hmm. which requires everything be in a worm format or an immutable format. Um, And so they're using our software as well as immutable storage in Azure, um, the the write once, read many storage out there in Azure, uh, to provide that added layer of confidence. But you can't go in and, and edit anything that, uh, that's up and that's been you know, backed up by Operavi. Anything that's changed will then become a new version. Okay. So, John, um, let's talk about what this looks like architecturally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, it's a, uh, a really simple architecture. This is a really simple slide for it. Um, obviously, depending on you know, the infrastructure, this could look a little bit different. Um, but we've got uh, our software appliance here, and this is uh, what's going to live either on-prem or near the data. So if you're aggregating unstructured data in EC2, for example, you can place our software appliance in an EC2 bucket, in a container, however you want to deliver it. Uh, it can be delivered. Uh, it can live on physical and virtual machines, Windows or Linux. Um, and it really is the aggregator and the enforcer of policies. So it's okay. going to 
uh, aggregate any policy that's been set forth from our web platform. So uh, the UI is only online. You can actually create stuff online, have a policy, and then have that policy then be enforced downstream uh, throughout the entire ecosystem. The software can run agentlessly uh, to SANS, NAS, file servers, et cetera, but in the case of remote office, branch office user, individual laptops, or if you want some added layers of granularity on your file servers, we have agents that can run out there as well. Okay. Um, but those agents will adopt any policy set forth from above. Gotcha. So as policies change and as new governance comes in, uh, an admin can go and apply a group policy and have that get get you know, disseminated down. throughout the entire uh, ecosystem really quickly. You don't have to go point to point to point to make these changes. Okay, yep. and then as far as the, I, I'll call them clients that you support out here, yeah. uh, basically any NFS, SMB mount uh, type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Any, any, uh, any mount is fine. We can, we can grab that, uh, absolutely. Um, the data itself doesn't have to go to cloud either. It can, you can define a path there as well. Uh, so if you guys are, are not ready for the cloud and, and you've got leadership that isn't ready to, to, to start putting all your data in the cloud, you can choose some data just as a proof to say, hey, this is safe, look, check it out, right? Uh, whereas your more critical data that is maybe higher sensitivity stays on-prem or, or goes to a, a co-location facility, something along those lines. Uh, you also mentioned uh, endpoints like laptops and desktops. Yeah. You protect those as well? Yeah, we can. Um, so even if they're not connected, um, what we'll do is we'll actually cache anything that's happening locally. And as soon as a connection, whether it's a Wi-Fi or, or they're on a VPN or, or what have you, um, once that connection you know, is, is sensed, it'll then push everything up uh, okay. depending on your policy. So what's, what's nice about Operavi is we actually can give you a couple added layers of protection. Um, so the software appliance on-prem, if you want, it can actually hold versions of your data, right? Okay. So it doesn't have to. Um, at minimum, it can only hold that index, the dictionary that we talked about, which is you know, maybe a 10% footprint of your total data. Okay. Um, and the, whereas the data will get sent directly from the laptop you know, to cloud or to final storage destination. Mm -hmm. um, but it can hold versions on-prem. So you can say, hey, do you know, I want five recovery points today, and then at, at the end of the night, I want to push, push, push it out to cloud. cloud. Exactly. So that way you keep your uh, physical footprint on-prem at a minimum. Yeah, we're not just exploding secondary storage, absolutely. And then from a cloud, I think we kind of touched on this a lot, but, yeah. but basically any cloud provider, uh, the big boys, plus any S3 compatible cloud provider. That's right, yeah, and we have a list of certified cloud providers on our website that we've done interoperability testing with, and we've got some partnerships with, but... Uh, again, Operavi is storage agnostic. I don't make any money by talking about Azure or Google or anyone like that. That's up to you guys. You have your negotiated agreements with, with those cloud providers. Uh, we're not going to step in the way of that or add any type of premium or say that you have to go to this cloud provider. Um, so we've talked about a lot of problems uh, that we can help you solve, uh, but uh, ransomware recovery is, is absolutely one of the key ones. Having a secondary line of defense in place I don't want to replace your Veeam. I don't want to replace your Zerto. I'm not in the business of, of saying we're disaster recovery, we're business continuity because right. we're not. And right. those tools shouldn't be in the business of saying we're your archive, we're your long-term data retention, we're your compliance and governance. They're, they're different tasks, right? Um, so well, and that goes to that purpose-built idea, right? 100%. Now, I, I know in conversations with you, you have uh, more than a few customers that have come to you specifically for the ransomware recovery yeah. uh, capabilities, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, part of that is is they want a different strategy for backup and they want a, a multi-vendor strategy for backup. Some of these cyber attackers are getting pretty uh, savvy mm -hmm. to APIs on, on you know, other backup softwares and adding another layer of protection only, only helps, right? 
we license it based on storage at that point. So it's, it's actually very cost effective to be used as an additional line of defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we get customers all the time that, that uh, have more or less their, their servers from their existing backup softwares have gotten encrypted also. Um, whether that's because they had you know, not the greatest of policies in the world or because there was a backdoor that a cyber attacker exploited. Um, and we talked about endpoint, uh, and we didn't really touch on remote office, branch office protection, but same basic idea. Same there. basic concept, exactly. Yeah. You can run agents out there. Um, the platform is multi-tier and multi-tenant. Um, so if any of you guys are out there service providers, this is a phenomenal tool to roll out to your customers. Um, both as an extra insurance policy to you, but also it adds some additional recovery outcomes for your clients and the data intelligence. Um, but even if you're an uh, organization with multiple business units, you can provision account access where accounting only sees accounting data, right? And marketing sees marketing data, uh, but the super admin will obviously be able to, to see everything in the environment. So the, we talked, I think we talked quite a bit about retention. I don't know if we spent a lot of time on archive. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, our policies allow you to archive off uh, data from, that we've created throughout the backups when it's appropriate and to the appropriate storage tier. Um, again, that way so your secondary storage isn't just getting blown up, right? So that right. versioning that we're doing on-prem, you can define how many of those you keep there as well as when you send that data out to archive to help reduce that on-premise storage. Well, and I think, again, this is where that granularity comes in, right? Because you can, you can archive specific content as opposed to the entire uh, backup job. Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, we're placing the value on the data, whether you're using the classification tagging and the pattern matching that we offer to discover that data and then assigning that a policy versus you know, generalized data that maybe doesn't need to be kept for 10 years. Makes sense. And then we talked a lot about compliance and governance. Talk about a little bit about storage optimization. Yeah. Um, because of the unique way that we're storing data in object storage, it gives us granular control over that. So we can actually remove data the moment its policy retention expires. So you're not uh, held to when the backup was. You're, right. We're looking actually at you know, the, the data of that, that file. So we're able to remove those data. Even individual bits and blocks of data can be removed. This, you know, against like a traditional grandfather, father, son style backup uh, or a forever incremental that requires you to rebase, we're going to save over, you know, 10 years. We've modeled out up to 75% on secondary storage. Yeah, what you typically see in backup applications is the entire uh, blob that makes up that job has to, all everything has to hit those retention requirements before it can be removed because the exactly. whole thing is built on it, right? Exactly. You got uh, it. And I'm a little disappointed in the last thing here that you guys can't help solve the mystery of Stonehenge. Well, it, you know, I think it's universally understood that it's aliens. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Universal. <laughs> Go ahead. So for contact information, uh, if you have questions, uh, best way to uh, ask questions is to tweet us questions, Absolutely. which is right there, at Storage Swiss or at Operavi Software. Yep. Uh, contact information is also up here, uh, so feel free to reach out to us any way you can. Uh, I know, uh, John, that your guys' website has a lot of information on this as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've got dedicated pages for these type of solutions that we just talked about. Um, so go check us out at operavi.com. Uh, browse around, and um, we don't gate any of our materials on the resources page. So if you're just doing research, you know, go ahead, uh, grab some documents, read up on it, and uh, we'd uh, love to hear from you. Great. Well, John, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, George. You're welcome. Thanks, everybody. All right, and there you have it. So if you're looking for unstructured data protection, we, we really think at Storage Switzerland, we really think it's time to really start thinking this as a purpose-built activity. The, the, 
The other solutions are really good for hitting RPOs and RTOs in applications and environments and virtualized environments, but unstructured data is just fundamentally different. Mm. And so having the ability to have a tool that's very focused on that is going to bring, not only bring you peace of mind, but also bring a lot of value to the organization. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. I'm George Crump, Lead Analyst with Storage Switzerland.